You're listening to Resurrection South Austin, a community of faith, learning to do life together in the goodness of God. For more information, you can find us online at resaustin.com. We are in the fourth week. We're deep in Ephesians now. We're, we're all the way in chapter two. Uh, we're in the fourth week of a study we've been doing in this letter that Paul wrote from prison to these people in modern-day Western Turkey. And he's writing to tell them who they are as the church, trying to remind them, do you, do you remember who you are? Do you, do you recall, like, where you were when God found you and gathered you? Do you know what God has made among you in community? These are the folks that Paul was trying to remind that they had been rescued from ultimately a separation from God, a life apart from him, and brought into a new life in Jesus. There's a new creation, something that wasn't there before, brought about new in Christ. Not only personally for individuals, and you can imagine the stories because they're much like our own, of people who needed to be brought back into the, the arms, the fold of God and his presence, his care, his goodness. You have those personal stories, but then you have the reality of what happens when you patch all of these personal stories into a community. You have a people, you have a thing, a community. Scripture talks about this community as Jesus's body, the Lord's body, his church, It's a people who, for the sake of others, for the sake of South Austin, for instance, God's presence is made readily available. You want to believe in God. You want to see his goodness visibly. You want to receive his kindness actually. Then look no further than my church because those are the people that are going to do it. That's who we are. How intimidating, right? This is what Paul's doing to remind them in this letter. And I hope that as we continue to study this letter, that we too are encouraged and not discouraged, but really genuinely encouraged that who we are in Jesus is his living body in our neighborhood for the sake of others, even in South Austin. Now, this sounds fantastic, right? We would expect a priest to preach about something like this. But there's so much that gets in the way of us actually living this way and doing these things that Jesus would want us to do, right? There's so many things that get in the way of this. It's so inconvenient, Sean. You don't understand. I totally get this, actually. It's so difficult. Divisiveness, defensiveness, defiance. These things all start with D, yes, but they're also, just realizing this, they're also these virtues that culture has enshrined and said, you can all do this and it's all acceptable. You all have a right to do this. In fact, if you're not doing this, you're not like really leaning into the status quo. Divisiveness, defensiveness, and defiance. Virtues, the way we do things, they become rights for us. Now, none of us, I know, none of us wake up in the morning and think, you know, today I'm gonna be a total jerk. I'm gonna be divisive. I'm gonna be defensive and I'm gonna be defiant. This is the day. We don't do that. We don't wake up and just act on it intentionally. We act on it kind of functionally without really even thinking about it. We get swept up into the way of doing things this way. As if those things are actually going to be the things that finally set people right or finally heal things or finally like, make good out of something that's not so good, if those, as if those are our shepherds, the things that are gonna lead us into the goodness of God, the good life with God, as if those things would actually work, and they don't, and we know that. 
But even more sharply, something that Paul brings before us in this letter is he's saying that those things actually have no place in the church either. There's no place for those things in the church. But again, our overstretched and very, very celebrated, very sacred individuality in this country, our too often very too high view of ourselves, our lack of actual, not just in our hearts, but our lack of actual submission to one another, trusting one another, these are all the things that get in the way of us being that one body of Jesus. These are the ways that we actually end up just kind of being co-opted into divisiveness and defensiveness and defiance. And we begin to divide and separate and fragment on lines that are totally foreign to the kingdom of God. This is like what happens, right? How tough is that? How do we overcome this? Well, the short of it, if you just kind of want to check out and not listen to the rest of the sermon, I'll just tell you the short of it. Psalm 23 tells us, the Lord is my shepherd. When we allow the Lord to be our shepherd, he leads us into this place of the good life. When we allow anything else to be our shepherd, that's what we end up getting. Is the Lord our shepherd? Do we live in a constant state of want? Do we need to win? Do we need to prove ourselves? What drives us? Where are we going? If the Lord isn't our shepherd, friends, I'm telling you this morning, we're not heading into great territory. It's not good for us. It's not good for others. And this morning, as we look at Paul's words in this letter, I wanna challenge you. I know you've read this. Hopefully some of you have even studying this week as we've been um, looking at this book together. I want you to take these words fresh because they're super challenging and there's gonna be a moment, I guarantee you, like it was for me, where I would rather just kind of gloss over some stuff and not deal with the challenge that this presents to my life and a demand for me to actually decide like, how am I gonna do this? How am I gonna live? I wanna invite you, take to heart what Paul's writing to us because I think this message that he extends to us, it actually runs directly contrary to what culture and our world and even our own desires want to offer us. But as Christians, we should be totally used to this by now, right? Doing things contrary to what's been handed to us. Let's jump in. I wanna look at um, chapter two, verses 11 through 22 this morning. And I wanna read, if I can, verse 11 to us again so it's fresh. Verse 11 says this. Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision, in quotes, by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Now, circumcision, this is a little odd. Um, we won't talk about exactly what that is, but basically it was a sign for the people of God that they were inside the promises of God, that they were covenant members of God's promise. It was a sign that they were God's people. So to be called the uncircumcision uh, was like a pejorative. It was an insult. It was, you're an outsider. You don't belong in God's people. You don't belong to his promise. These days, we have other names for the uncircumcision, right? We would never call someone the uncircumcision. We have all kinds of other better terms for outsiders, things that we make up. As Paul would say, made in the flesh by hands. Those terms that we, those categories that we put people for those who are just outside the promises of God. The liberals, oh man, they're outside the promise. Those conservatives, man, in Texas, 
They're outside the promises of God. Those mean neighbors that I have that always complain about this, they find something to complain about. Nick and Trisha, you're not, not those neighbors. I've, I've, we don't actually have bad neighbors. I'm just thinking like hypothetically people. Those Mexicans, those black folks, those poor people, ugh. Those gay folks, those ignorant people on Facebook, the uncircumcision. You hear that? That should, that should like strike a nerve because I know that some, we just operate on some of these terms. Our culture, our world operates on these out of bounds people, these people outside the promises of God, these functionally named uncircumcision. With all that in mind, listen to what Paul says next. He presses us further, verse 12. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenant of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. In other words, who are you to call someone an outsider? Outsider? Have you forgotten where you were when God found you? Do you remember when you had no clue just how good God was? You thought you knew who he was, but you had no idea. Do you remember how lost you were? Do you remember the time when you were without hope because there was no God that cared for you? And somehow you found out there was a God who cared for you, had promises made to you. You outsider, do you remember? So easily we forget that we were once on the outside of God's kindness and his goodness and his promise and have been brought in, not because we've earned it or done something for ourselves or because we're born into the right race or the right socioeconomic class or the right political party. It has nothing to do with it. We were brought in because God loves us. He loves us. And through his son has brought us to himself. And only because of that are we now insiders of his promise. Verse 13 says, but now in Christ Jesus you who are once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Notice who's doing the action here in what Paul's saying. It's not these people. He's not giving their, their, their CV of all their accomplishments of the way that they've weaseled their way into the church or into the kindness of God. No, this is something that is one and only done by the blood of Jesus, he says. Those who are far off, who are brought near, you hear, even you can see the spatial language that Paul's using to give this image to us of like those scattered and lost sheep that we hear allusions from in our psalm, talking about Jesus as the good shepherd, the Lord is my shepherd. Those who are far off, who have been brought near. And what Paul's trying to give us a visual for, something he is leaning over the page to make apparent to us, to make explicit, is that the work of God in Christ is to reconcile all things to himself in Jesus, and only by Jesus. And when we are so gathered because of Jesus and in Jesus and to Jesus, when we are gathered this way, you know what happens? It's so surprising and kind of not. Those old ways that we used to go about, those old tools that we would use to get what we want, those old status quo things that brought about the illusion of peace but never really brought peace, the walls of divisiveness, the defensiveness in our hearts, the defiance 
that our pride so easily fuels, it's all done away with in Jesus. They're torn down. Look at verse 14. For Jesus, he himself, not these other things, for he himself is our peace who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of the commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new, new man in place of two, so making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. Somewhere along the way, Israel, God's people, they lost sight of who they were. They lost sight of their vocation. And if anyone would know how Israel lost their way, Paul would know. He was like level six, you know? Jewish status, knew the law. He had like arrived. Paul would know of Israel's true vocation and how they'd lost their way. The blessing of God's being God's chosen people for Israel was never for them to enjoy privilege or favoritism or to be just like the prize of the world just so that everyone could see it and be jealous. God, listen to this, Americans, God never blesses a nation for its own good. But always that it would lay down its life to bless others. That's always the vocation and the purpose of God's blessing. Israel lost sight of this. And we can see why when we lost sight of it, we lose sight of this. God's chosen Israel, they lost track. In fact, they despised those who were not part of them, the Gentiles. This is what Paul's touching on. This was like, if you could, if you could hear this letter being read in a Jewish context, it, it would be one of those kind of pins and needle moments like, oh, don't go there. He went there. Oh my gosh, what's gonna happen next? The Jews, they would call with contempt. The Gentiles, they would call them dogs. And they would actually literally build walls to keep them out. Now there's a huge history about why they would do that. It's a very violent history. Nevertheless, they built these walls of hostility, Paul referenced them as. And they weren't just like a metaphor in someone's heart, but likely those stone barriers that actually kept the Gentiles out of the Jewish courts of the temple. They had a space for them, but not the inner space. Josephus is this really famous ancient Jewish historian, and he records the signs that were posted on these massive walls that were to keep the Gentiles out. And they say, trespassers will be executed. Can you imagine? This city on a hill where God dwells with his people, and this sign as you come to it saying, trespassers will be executed. Even just as recent as in 1935, late, late 19th century and even 1935, archeologists dug up some more of these signs. They found some of them. And one of them I can read to you says, no foreigner may enter within the barrier and closure round the temple. Anyone who is caught doing so will have himself to blame for his ensuing death. These are the signs that the people of God posted on these walls of hostility. Anyone who is caught doing so will have himself to blame for his ensuing death. How haunting, how current these messages sound for us today in our conversations about walls and borders, boundary lines. But God bless America, right? What do we mean by that? 
Now, don't send me a zillion emails. I know we need border security. It's not what I'm saying. You know what I'm saying. Our tendency in hearing this might be uh, to ignore our failures as a church, as a country, that we want God to bless as a community in this neighborhood, that we pray for God's goodness to lay heavy upon us, to be marked on us. But friends, we can't get there. We can't get to a place of truly being in the presence of God, living out his goodness visibly for the sake of the world as his people. We can't get there if we're not willing to be honest about our own failures first, first as the church, right? And I know this is like, Ugh, I didn't come to church on Sunday, Sean, so that you could tell us just how terrible we are. I'm not doing that. I'm part of this too. In fact, the gospel is all the more wonderful when in light of our failures, we still see the kindness of God come to us, right? So we can actually look at our failures without being afraid of our failures because they are not the end of the story for us. If we're not willing to be honest about our failures at the church, if we don't feel genuinely, deeply the real offense to Christ, that the divisions we have put up in our church over race and color and gender and economics and politics, if we don't feel that offense, then we're going to miss what it means to be reconciled to God in Christ. We just, we gotta feel the offense of this because this is actually, if you think about it, divisions is the opposite of reconciliation. And so feeling that offense is a sign of life, folks that what God's doing in the world is gathering up his sheep and anything we do to hinder that is offensive to him because he's, he's working in the opposite direction and be careful because he will win. His reconciliation is going to happen no matter the walls we put up. We can't as a church let anything else shepherd us. No other terms, no other categories, no other walls. The Lord is our shepherd. We wanna go with him, right? That's what we want. Paul makes this point unavoidable in this chapter, the second chapter, that Jesus Christ, listen to this, has destroyed the enemy that divides us, human sin by the blood of his own cross. There is not a wall that can stand under the weight and under the pressure of the blood of Christ that has overcome it. He alone has brought about a costly reconciliation. It wasn't cheap, it wasn't easy, by spending his own life for our sake, he has brought about a reconciliation that really only Jesus could accomplish for us. And there is no wall, friends, there is absolutely not a single wall that can stand in his path. There's not one. We pray this every week. I don't know if you know this. Did you know this? We pray this every week in our prayer book when we come to the altar. What would happen if we actually believed this and lived this way. Page 362 of your prayer book. You don't have to flip that. I'll read this for you. We pray this as a church and you guys say amen. You're like fist pumping amen at this point because we're at the table and we're jamming. It's like, is our sweet spot. This is what we pray. Holy and gracious father in your infinite love, you have made us for yourself. And when we had fallen into sin and become subject to evil and death, you in your mercy sent Jesus Christ, your only and eternal son to share our human nature, to live and die as one of us, to reconcile us to you, the God and Father of all. How, how did he reconcile us? He stretched out his arms upon the cross and offered himself in obedience to your will, a perfect sacrifice for the whole world. Friends, this is what it looks like when the Lord 
is your shepherd and you have no other want than being with him and taking his lead. Jesus has won for us that reconciliation that we couldn't win for ourselves. And there are real implications even in our daily life, even in the world we live in. If we are the church, basically what Paul's arguing here then is that we've got to connect these dots of the reconciliation that Jesus has won for us and then our actual everyday lived lives. They can't be in different realities, different categories. It can't be a Sunday thing and then like a Monday through Tuesday thing. It's gotta be integrated, it's gotta be one, it's gotta be whole. To be the church then is to live not as the world does, not as we might get swept up in that, but in the truth that in Jesus divisions, every division has given way to reconciliation. Defensiveness has surrendered to trust. Can you imagine that in this community? No need for defensiveness because we trust one another so deeply. Defiance has been emptied out by peacemaking. If you are here and you're thinking, why do these people come every week to talk about Jesus? Uh, This is why. Our fascination about Jesus, who he is, even if you don't believe he's the son of God, okay, fine. Just take a look at him as a human being, this great reconciler, this great peacemaker, this wonderful shepherd of those who are far off, who are marginalized, who are divided out, bringing them in. This is who Jesus is. And if even you start there, you will find that there's way more to this person than just a peacemaker on the surface. You'll find the treasure of God's love for you, that that peacemaking is actually aimed at you. It's for you. Back on track, verse 17, Paul says this. He came and preached peace, Jesus did, to you who are far off and peace to those who are near. For through him, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. In Jesus, you have, listen, direct and immediate access to God the Father in Jesus, through one spirit, you have access to God the Father. And he makes citizens out of you in his own kingdom. Jesus makes you card-carrying citizens, sons and daughters, adopted sons and daughters, as if you're his own now, because you are. He makes you saints. He makes you people who belong. This is your home. Out of a group of folks who were once totally alienated, totally even in some cases opposed to the way of God or even his existence, total strangers, people who are hostile and far out. God has made you friends, someone who belongs with him, his own child. This is what we mean when we say the household of God. It's not just some like empty, vacuous structure. It's filled with his beloved and you are his beloved. Paul finishes. This household of God is built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets in verse 20. Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you also are being built together into a a dwelling space for God by the spirit. Can you imagine a dwelling place for God in South Austin? 
what that would look like, who would come to that, why people would, can you imagine? That's what we are as a church, friends. And this place is not built on our preferences. It's not built on our tastes. It's not built on our political ideologies. It's not built on our income bracket. It's not built on the color of our skin. It's not built on whether you have a criminal record or not. It's not built on who your children are and what they've done. It's not built on how you've been hurt. None of that. Listen, it is Jesus and only Jesus who determines that you are reconciled and brought into the household of God, period. It's not built on anything else. And Paul, I don't know how many times he has to say this to us for actually us to take this into our hearts and go, this is really, I believe this, this is true. Only Jesus determines who is reconciled into the household of God. No one else gets to make that call, only Jesus. How important is it for us to really get this, church? Is this just too preachy? Am I just like, just preaching or is this hit the ground? I think this is really important. I think this actually matters. And I think if we can really get a hold of this, South Austin would be changed. I can't think of something more important, in fact, for us to hear today as a church, the church, you are the beloved of God and you've been reconciled to Jesus and you, in you, he has built a dwelling place for himself in our neighborhood in South Austin, a holy temple of reconciliation. Famous Anglican scholar, pastor, John Stott, he writes, I love John Stott, he writes this. I wonder if anything is more urgent today for the honor of Christ and for the spread of the gospel, listen, than that the church should be and should be seen to be what by God's purpose and Christ's achievement it already is. A single new humanity, a model of human community, a family of reconciled brothers and sisters who love their father and love each other. The evident dwelling place of God by his spirit. Only then will the world believe in Christ as peacemaker. Only then will God receive the glory due his name. Amen. Amen. You're listening to Resurrection South Austin, a community of faith, learning to do life together in the goodness of God. For more information, you can find us online at resaustin.com.